Well, g'day everyone. Welcome to Life in the Peloton. I'm Mitch Stocker and this podcast this week is about Strava. Now, I'm assuming everyone listening to this knows what I'm talking about, but not necessarily. Look, since coming back to Australia and retiring as a pro, I had no need or the use to upload my rides to Training Peaks or some other coaching format, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm doing it for myself. But the thing was, everyone kept hassling me. Mate, where's your ride mapped on Strava? How come you don't have a Strava account? So I was like, that's it. I'm getting an account. And I have since been discovering how to use it and how it works for me as a non-pro. Look, at the end of the day, it's a way to get some kudos on my rides as they call it. This podcast this week has been no means sponsored by Strava of any sort. I thought, like myself, there's going to be some people out there who use it and be interested to find out the nuts and bolts, some hacks, hear how to use it to go pro and what the pros think of it. Do they use it? So I went away and I spoke to three riders who could give me that insight. Firstly, Mark O'Brien. Now, Mark O'Brien and I started riding together as a junior here in Victoria back in Australia in the early 2000s. We crossed paths on our way through the ranks till we rode together in Drapak Porsche, my first professional team, you could call it, a pro-continental team here in Australia in 2007-2008 before I ventured off overseas. Mark himself has had a very colourful career, riding in and out of Australia in many teams. He was over in Malaysia, he was in the UK, but he's been mainly racing in Australia over those years. And this year, he was based in the squad in form TMX Make, a really successful team, if not the strongest team in Australia. So he's at the front end of the racing side. Aside from racing, Marco has a passion for training and coaching, and he's been a coach on HP Tech Coaching whilst he's been racing all these years, and he's also started working for Redine Australia, which is a commercial construction company as a project manager. He's a man of many talents, as you can hear there, and the master of making the most of his time, especially when it comes to riding his bike. He was the perfect candidate when it came to understanding a tool like Strava. Next, I sat down with Jay Vine. Jay is in his second year in the World Tour, riding with Alberson Dequinic. He rode and finished his first Grand Tour, the Vuelta Spania, last year, and arguably used Strava as a tool to help him turn professional. And finally, I sat down with an old pro, George Bennett, a friend of mine who is riding in his 11th year as a pro, riding for UAE Team Emirates, and has actually clocked up 16 grand tours so far in his career. I was actually quite surprised about that when I looked back on that. I was like, holy hell. And I wanted to know what an older style pro who definitely didn't grow up with Strava and is actually now using it thought of it all. He was my insight into the Peloton and what they really thought about it. Did they actually care? The podcast this week is about understanding the community side of riding a bike. Sure, we're talking to the pros, but my view on Strava is about trying to connect with others, about where I ride, about where they ride, about trying to find out where everyone's riding, this community online. Something that I'm coming full circle with in my cycling life, that community, the love for just riding our bikes. Rafa has been such a fitting partner this year for Life in the Peloton. More than ever have I understood the principles and the vision of what they're trying to actually achieve there at Rafa. Rafa Cycling Club, the RCC, it's a great community where riders of all levels, skills and ability have that common interest in cycling, are brought together in such an inclusive, fun way. And I've really enjoyed being taken under the fold of the RCC this year and meeting heaps of awesome people. Now, guys, on to this episode. Like I've said, I've broken into three parts. We're going to hear from Marco first, Marco Bryan, that is. 
He's going to run us through the nuts and bolts. Then we're going to hear from Jay Vine, the master of Strava, I think. And finally, from the old pro, George. So, guys, sit back and enjoy. All right, Mark O'Brien, we're here and we're talking about Strava. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, Docs. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. It's pretty exciting to be here, I must say. Well, we've known each other for quite a long time, right back when we started in juniors. We're back here in Melbourne, in Australia, and we rode together you know, in Drapak Porsche also. Um, we've ridden together for a lot of our life, and now we've sort of come full circle. We're back here together. Not that we've ever come out of touch over those years, but I've sort of been traveling a bit. You've been doing your own um, ambitions as well as a cyclist and also outside of cycling. Now you've uh, you've got yourself actually a, a proper job, haven't you? Yeah, mate. Um, you could say we had slightly different trajectories in the uh, <laughs> cycling space, but uh, yeah, so I had a few, few adventures traveling around, but obviously you've had a very successful cycling career and um, I'm just a mad cycling fan <laughs> and uh, enjoy riding my bike. So uh, yeah, now uh, both of us back here, dads, and uh, enjoy riding our bike still and as you said, I'm doing a normal person job as well as uh, my other cycling endeavours. Don't downplay your cycling career because there's a specific reason why I've chosen you for today because it may have not happened on the actual racing front per se, but you are one of the strongest guys that I know out on the bike and you're a guy who's mastered training in my opinion, not only for yourself, but now as a coach and we're talking about Strava. Marco, what is Strava? So, it's actually not a bad tool in terms of looking how you go against a pro, but it could be anyone. It could be someone that's just commuting to work and go, you know what, I don't think anyone's ever been as fast as me between this traffic light and that traffic light. And if you've ever commuted into the city, mate, like they are rapid. Mm. Um, so, you just see guys are sprinting a certain, let's say, 100-meter stretch or the uh, up and down your street, for example. You might think, no one else has ridden this. I'm going to be the fastest person who's ever gone from the top of uh, your court to back down. And you can make that a segment on Strava. And then from that point on, anyone that rides that segment, it'll compare their time to your time. Um, and you can see how you can compare to every single person that goes through that. In the world, really, essentially. Yeah, well, can't that's, you? that's it. It's uh, also an amazing tool for when you, you're traveling around the world. If you're lucky enough to have your bike with you, you go, I have no idea. I'm in Istanbul. This is a real life example for mm. when I actually was in Istanbul. And I've gone, I have no idea where to go, but I kind of want to stay fit because I've got some racing coming up. Go on Strava, look where locals have ridden or like there's actually heat maps. You can see the most uh, used segments and used roads in a city of 20 million people. It's uh, still, you're putting your life in your hands, but <laughs> yeah, you can go find the local hills, climbs, get your training done. Got chased by a few rabid dogs, but that's another uh, story. But uh Moral story is you can basically find your way no matter where you're in the world and also see how you uh, compare to the Lokish uh, Turkish cyclists. Mm, well, that's right. There is that racing element to it. But if, you know, we're talking about, we can get into that in a minute. We're talking about segments or KOMs or whatever you want to call We'll call them, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the thing that I've realized is because when I came back to Australia, look, I was never involved with Strava as a pro. I didn't have any need for it, I didn't think. I had my uh, database, upload my training, training peaks, my coach would would check it. But once I wasn't a pro, I was like, well, I still felt the need to upload my file somewhere. You know, get this kudos, as they call it in Strava. Someone give me like a little thumbs up, you know, used to be my coach or he'd give me a thumbs down sometimes. You know, someone to just sort of give me recognition for the, for the work I'd done. And people kept asking me, how come you don't have Strava? Where are you riding? So it was like this, from what I can say is, and you can maybe tell me differently, is that it was this place where it was like a cycling Facebook where people could see what I'd done, give me a kudos, and 
Also, it was me for to sort of track and show people, hey, this is a great ride. Go and check it out. Or I was talking about the ride. Look, where is it? Check my Strava out. Go and have a look where it is. So there was this database where people could actually see it. Yeah, I think um, training historically was always a really secretive thing. Mm. And even before, like we've ridden when it was basically uh, training off heart rate or even before that, you'd be doing your real perceived effort. And uh, so every year, I think, well, every uh, few years, it sort of advances that little bit more, a little bit more. And I think now that uh, you've got something like Strava, as you said, you're no longer a pro cyclist. You don't have Kev watching over every movement. And it's kind of, it almost uh, keeps you accountable, I think. Like if you're uploading a Strava, people get to say, oh yeah, Mitch is keeping fit or like mm. you're out for a run. All of a sudden, the back of your mind, you're going, hang on, there's people following me. I wonder, I don't really want to just like dawdle around. You still have a bit of pride about you. You've been a pro for 10, 15 years or whatever it is. Like you still have a bit of uh, stubbornness about you and want to uh, mm. show that you're still a strong rider or a strong runner when you're out for a run. And I think this is almost a thing to keep you accountable, keeps you linked up with your mates because someone will see it and might comment on it or go, that's a great loop. I'm going to go try that because Mitch went and wrote it and it's almost a, a way of connecting with people and uh, probably is a little bit like the, the Rafa Clubhouse stuff that uh, mm. you've often spoken about. It's almost like having a community no matter where you go that if you go overseas and go ride your bike, you can link up with a local group, see where they leave from, see where they go, meet new friends. Like, there's a lot of social parts about it as well, not just mm. the uh, the competitive side of Strava. And I was thinking about the ego side of it. It's like, well, we're essentially just pumping up our own ego. Hey, check out this this awesome ride I did and, you know, I'm so good I did this ride. But at the end of the day, is that bad that we're sort of, you know, pushing ourselves to show we're exercising? And I was like, well, hang on. It's not like on, say, Instagram where you're just like, look at me, I look so cool. It's like, well, look at the ride I did. Look at the training I'm doing. Yes, okay, you, you're pumping up your own ego, but actually you're still doing the training, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's it. Like, you still got to do – it's still hard yeah. no matter what you do, but – like, I'm an absolute fiend for external validation, mate. So I, I thrive on it. <laughs> yeah, like if you can do a really good ride and get on there and like you're checking in and getting the uh, the updates of uh, so-and-so's commented or giving you kudos, it's great. It's an amazing feeling and it almost uh, pushes you to keep wanting to do it as well. It's like a addictive drug. Mm. The more you get and you're like, oh, that was, that was quite good. Maybe I'll try to go another segment here or another segment there. And uh, as I said, there, there is a sense of pride about it as well as a, a sense of community as well. Well, let's talk about the segments now because um, – People out there are probably wondering, what the hell are they talking about? Segments, KOMs. So, like you explained at the start, you know, you can go out there and you can go, you know what, this hill. Let's talk about King Lake because, you know, everyone listening out there, they're going to know about that, you know, or any anyone in Melbourne will. That was my old stomping ground. You know it very well now since moving to Melbourne probably 10 years ago now, I guess. Um, it's a very well-known climb and you can go... I'll put a segment from the very bottom of that to the very top and it'll record everyone going over that and ultimately that'll become a KOM. And if you are the fastest person up there through GPS, it's going to track you and therefore you're going to get a crown and you're going to be the fastest person. Years ago, we used to, there's an old wives tale around, who's done the fastest up there? I think William Walker did 15 minutes up there. Oh yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, it was sort of cool, as mystique, but now we've actually got the official records and there's millions of those segments all over everywhere. Yep. Tell me about KOMs, Marco. King Lake or even the 1 and 20, they're both great examples. So 1 and 20, which I think it has every 500 meter segments on there that someone's gone, you know what, I was pretty speedy in that bit. There's a bit of a tailwind. I did a bit of a sprint. I reckon I might have been the fastest. Bang, new segment, new segment. Might have docks kilometer on there, like whatever it is. They've got so many different ways to break up a hill, but also, as you said, there's often the 
at the bottom and at the top of the hill and you can not only compare yourself to everyone else but compare yourself to yourself. Mm. You can It'll give you your best times that you've ever done up there and you go, oh, I did a PB and this is something I use with my athletes with coaching as well. But it might be, well, maybe you're not going to go and take Alp Duez KOM but you can go and say, all right, I'm going to try to beat my best ever time of Alp Duez. Go time yourself and uh, it's there. Whereas um, back in the day, as you said, there was this mystique. It could have been, Willie Walker or Trent Lowe, that I hear they did it on mountain bike tires mm. and, uh, mm. you know, like with a full saddlebag and yet they did this time and everyone would talk it up and then it went, uh, I think it was Cycle to Max was the next thing where you actually could go and manually input your time and it'd tell you what your uh, your van was, your vertical centimetres uh, on your way up there, which uh, obviously people always put a little bit of spice on top of their time and mm. it's not necessarily the right thing, whereas yeah, in the days of GPS said you compare yourself to yourself you can compare yourself to your mates mm. and then yeah compare yourself to every single other person that's ever been up that road so it is a amazing way to want to push yourself and go that bit faster well let's talk about taking comms so is there is there a trick to the trade you know is there special ways you can go about trying to take these comms you know because anyone's who's seen this they're obviously trying to master it you know what are the tricks marco i know you're a bit of a com hunter and you know i love that word because they you know they're hunters they chuck their hunter hat on they go out there, they search for comms where people, you know, haven't particularly put a fast time in and they get the crown. They've got their name on number one position. What's com hunting about? How do you take KOMs? Well, I used to poo-poo this quite a bit, mate, when uh, I was taking my uh, cycling a bit more serious, whereas uh, then as it went on and on, I was like, it'd actually be kind of cool if uh, people in Melbourne knew I was the fastest on so-and-so segment. So then, uh, so it began. It'd be just so happened there was a, a strong southerly wind. Yeah, it's uh, not a bad day. Head out to King Lake. And that's probably number one is uh, the, the wind. wind. The wind. The wind is key. Is uh, If you've got a tailwind, then you're in with a show. Um, get out there. You want to uh, ditch off any excess weight. No need for those extra bottles. You can take the risk. Get rid of uh, spare tubes if you really want to and mm-hmm. uh, faster wheels. It used to be that thing that you'd never go train on carbons, whereas basically everyone's on carbons, carbons now. Yeah. Where it used to be your 32-spoke wheels and, you know, the old uh, gator skin tires or or the armadillos i've got on my bike at the moment but uh yeah now you're chucking a bit of a you think you're on you know faster tires and then uh the big one that no one really thinks about is the the air pressure side of things as well Mm. yeah the uh that's probably you go that far do you well if you if you want to take it very seriously mate i Mm. i uh may have a little peek at it every now and then but i know for example uh when we go did his hour record i think Mm. he was hoping for air pressure in the 980 or so i think it was about a bit over a thousand i think they worked out that difference would be about an other five or six hundred meters on his time there which would have had him over 55k so um it's pretty significant the amount of difference would make or king lake i'd say yeah that's sort of like 20 or 30 seconds on on your effort there for the exact same what so those would be the obvious ones Mm. wind losing excess weight and then um if you want to take it that little bit more seriously uh, looking at the uh, the air pressure. And it's supposed to be all done individually, isn't it? You know, you're not supposed to be paced by mates and all that sort of stuff, are you? No, not particularly. But then also uh, the racing is allowed to go on roads and then mm. no one ever really flags a race. But then you may get flat. Well, motor pacing definitely is a no-no. Whereas I think the old lead out or just being a bit tactical that if you had, uh, for example, if you're going out and doing a, a maximum five-minute effort, I may just slot on the rear wheel for a little bit and continue on if I can hold your shoe. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's becoming less and less uh, frowned upon because, of course, you have bunch rides that swap off for segments and then it is it is interesting, especially the uphill ones where people have a stronger opinion where I think uh, just random segments out and about, if you happen to be chopping off with a mate at the time, then uh, so bad. If, you, if you're fast, then uh, you get the crown. 
Well, let's put your coaching hat on now and talking about KOMs and talking about Strava in general, what do you think? You know, is this something that you like to see your athletes doing? You know, go out there, hunt these cons? Because ultimately, when I think back to training, most of my schedules and I think, oh, I probably had a lot of comms back in my day if I had Strava when I was really training. But actually, when I was training, I never really went to the full, you know, to the top of the climb. I probably turned around and did five times repeats on, you know, a part of a climb. I never completed the whole climb, say. So actually, when I think about that, if you've got athletes and they're just going out there going, well, my effort, my 10-minute effort finishes, you know, half a kilometer before the top of this climb, I'm actually just going to push on and try and take the Strava. And next thing you know, they're going harder than they need to. How does that go when you're training guys, you know, aspiring pros, I guess, or young guys or maybe old guys, I don't know, people who want to just sort of chase these Stravas, is that good for training? I remember actually uh, training with uh, Brendan Canty back in the day and he used to love his Strava hunting Hmm. and he was absolutely baffled when we're going up King Lake and I was doing a 15-minute effort that we're not far from the top and I just stopped. Hmm. He's like, what what are you doing? There's only a few hundred meters to go. And I was like, I had a 15-minute effort. Yeah, whereas uh, now, most definitely, I'd say uh, it's worthwhile pushing on because, yeah, I had an athlete doing 3x20s, for example, and they happened to go that tiny bit uh, longer to do a PB and it gave them a lot of um, confidence and uh, yeah, that, that really good feeling about themselves that wants them to push themselves that little bit further. I think there's merit in it. I think mm. there's an issue when it was meant to be an easy day and they happen to go sprint up a hill, which occasionally I'd see that uh, it's a recovery day, but they've hit, you know, a minute at 700 watts or something like that. I'm like, well, that that's not good for training. Do they get the com? And you go, uh, look, th- wasn't good for training, but well done. <laughs> it's like training's temporary, but like Strava lasts forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I think it has its place, mate. Like I think um, when you look at it and uh, if I got an athlete, for example, whether it's someone that wants to be professional or just uh, someone that wants to go and beat their mates, if they had maximal efforts and chasing a Strava that's only a minute longer than I prescribed, still hitting the same zones that I was after anyway. Mm. But then on top of that, um, they've probably actually pushed themselves harder than they would have if they were just going up a hill five minutes and turning around and going up and down. If they've had something to chase, even if it's an extra 30 seconds or a minute, one, they're stoked because they've mm. got a com, and two, they probably push themselves harder than they would have without it, so they probably get better training adaptation. So I think on certain days, and this is something that I've started doing with um, athletes as well, mm. I will give them a, a Strava hunting day knowing wow. that it might be a five-minute effort plus a, a 10-minute effort or something along the way. It might be a, a downhill segment they want to go rip, but they'll get the have fun They'll ho- hopefully get a couple of comms or at least PBs. Um, so that'll have them. And it's not so rigid and structured as going out and doing five by five, three by 20s. It's like a bit more of a, a laugh with your mates and going, we'll go race up here. And I think uh, a secondary benefit of that as well, in Australia now particularly, we don't, for guys that want to make a pro, we don't really have any uphill finishes. And with that, if someone can come out and do the local climb, whether it's King Lake or Donabuang, and do really impressive numbers and um, get up there, I think teams will actually look at them. So even if they're mm. trying to get in a not a world tour team, obviously it's not that level, but at least get the opportunity through an NRS team to go maybe do a Sun Tour or something like that, and then they get to show themselves. So I think there is an exposure side to it as well. That and if if you went to Girona and you went and took down one of the comms, then all of a sudden people talking going, well, this guy can go uphill. Um, no one's going to sign you from that, but maybe you'll get interested to get go mm. test with a team or something like that to uh, open up doors that wouldn't have been possible for someone that's just fast uphill but not actually, well, especially in Australia, like good at racing crits or sprinting and 
um, what our racing is dominated by. It's an extra piece to the puzzle, isn't it? It's not the whole entire thing. And we think back to when we were trying to become professional, and like we said, the mystique of, you know, it was word of mouth, and it was a different time, you know. I'm not talking about, you know, oh, back in the day, well, you know. dinosaurs. But, yeah, we're, <laughs> we are, yeah, essentially. But, you know, it was it was different, and, you know, different times, and, and you know, again, okay, yes, it does give you more exposure and potentially, let's say, easier to get seen, but that also means it's easier for a lot more people to be seen. So you think back to our time, you know, not that long ago, 20 years ago, you know, it was more difficult to get notice, but if you did get notice, there was a smaller pool, you know. So it, I guess it's got its, its pluses and minuses. And on that same note, what I want to also ask you about, you know, because this is something I'm finding myself falling into the trap of, is you set this standard for yourself, you know, whether that's running, whether that's riding, you know, it's public. Before, it was just my coach and I, and I never really wanted to let him down in terms of that's the training you set, they're the numbers I have to try and achieve, but it was between him and I. Now, suddenly, it's like I feel this pressure to, like, perform for the world. Who's watching, you know? And at the end of the day, probably no one really cares, but you think this inside. I'm sure you do too. There's no easy rides. You've got this standard that people you think are expecting to see. What do you think about that? There's a massive internal dialogue, yeah. especially if I'm out riding just on my own. Because at least if I'm with someone else, I'm like, oh, yeah, but like I was, I was riding with them, you know. Whereas if I'm on my own, I'm having a shocker. I'm just like, oh, geez, uh, this this hurts my morale. Like, I, I think I'll just leave it private. Yeah. Uh, like, a lot of the time I will, just in case I'm working on uh, riding on work. Style, I didn't even but, know uh, you could do that. What yeah, can you do? Yeah. I just ha- haven't said it private, mate. So that, uh, that's why if, you, if you're having that internal uh, battle with yourself going, I am creeping today. I don't want people to see I've done this. But then I guess you're torn as well because you will get a couple of kudos nonetheless. So yeah. you just say, oh, e- easy ride or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll just leave it on private, especially through winter now, the full winter setup. I've been, uh, a lot of mine just left on private because I'm just so appalled with my average speeds on rides. Mm. Um, and it- like, who's even looking at that? Like, you know, like really, I know, I know we think that, but you know, I, I sort of like this. It is a positive thing for you to push, but I guess then going back to the coaching question, how do you do that with athletes? You know, this this internal push is like, like you said, hey, stick to the program, mate. Don't worry about the Strava. Yeah, well, that's, that's the big thing. I actually, to be honest with you, I think this is something that's developed over years and years for someone like you and I, um, been around a long time and therefore, I guess you have an expectation of what you think people perceive you as, whereas I think for younger guys, that's not such an issue mm. or people just getting into it because they haven't had this bar they've set in their head they know they ride at this level and then all of a sudden it's like you're not going that well but you kind of feel like you should still be at a certain level. So I think it's more something that be developed over years um, whereas my younger guys, they don't really look at it. If they get a comm, they're stoked but they're not so much worried about trying to keep you know X amount of average watts or average speed or anything like that. So they do just get on with it with the occasional little sprint here or there where uh, <laughs> they race their mate or go for a uh, little short segment. Yeah. But the vast majority, they're just, uh, yeah, stick to it. Whereas I think, as you said, like someone that's been quite strong in previous years, I think they are the ones that have that internal battle going, oh, I feel like I'm really creeping and I uh, don't want people to see it. Damaging my reputation, my legacy. <laughs> exactly. So there's all, talking about comms as well, lastly, I guess, one, one thing I wanted to touch on is there's also this thing called flagging. Um, and we did talk about that with motor pacing there is an ability, and look, I'm I'm a bit of a go mad at this, so everyone's probably listening to this going, yeah, mate, you're, you're explaining stuff to us that we all know, but I just want to go through it with Marco because he's he's one of the veterans of uh, 
of Strava. When we were out riding, it was telling me all different things about it, and I was learning it. I learned that you can actually put the KOM's a counter on your on your head unit, so you can see as you're riding along. I'll let you explain that too. But before we explain that, let's talk about flagging. And have you ever been flagged, or have you ever flagged someone? So, explain what that is, and have you ever gotten a heated discussion about it online? Uh, so flagging is basically if you have seen, for example. If someone went and took my Mount William Colm in the Grampians, I'd be flagging that bad boy straight away. <laughs> <laughs> no one touches my Halls Gap cut. <laughs> no. Um, it's just if you think uh, that someone has been motor pacing or they're driving or whatever it may have been when they've gone over your segment um, or someone else's segment, for example, you can flag it and then Strava will go have a look at it and go, yep, the power doesn't align with what's happened there. Mm. And then um, they hide it. So it's uh, hidden away and no longer counted on the leaderboard. And then if you're the one that's been flagged, you can go in and go, mate, I was just flying. Like, mm. you're just jealous and you can contest it if you want to. Oh, um, right. You can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can and try to justify it um, and then they'll put it back up there. Um, what was if you don't have any power on? Then uh, <laughs> they can just assume you're driving. So, if someone flags it, you don't really have a, a leg to stand on. Oh, uh, right. Um, yeah. So, it's more like if you're motor pacing, it's quite mm. obvious. Um, maybe someone is not happy. As you said, if you've rolled turns with someone else and taken their comp, Maybe they'll get angry or uh, a race, but largely it's just motor pacing, I think, mm. or someone that's accidentally left their head unit rolling um, when they put it on the car roof and started driving home. Mm. Um, so you get someone going up a, a mountain at 60k an hour. Yeah, but I've, I haven't actually, I may have been flagged once when I've just had a motor pacing session that was uploaded, but I don't think I got any uh, juicy comms that day. It was more just a random one between St. Andrews and Hurstbridge or something like that, mm. that, uh, yeah, someone's obviously had a good tailwind and had a good crack at and they're, they're a bit angry about, but, um, there's definitely a few that have uh, been flagged on and off. I know the the Freddie Ovet uh, one in twenty time that uh, a lot of people thought wasn't possible. Um, that one copped a, a few on and off the flaggings over the year. And what happened? Uh, it was actually being beaten now, but that was uh, by uh, uh, a few buddies uh, and myself when we we're chopping off back in maybe December. And I think mm. Liam Johnson now has the the come up there, one of the informed boys. Uh, by uh, one second so that was a, a good one but yeah, it was a chop off with a few of us so uh once again people might be a bit angry about the traditionalist uh, strava followers but um yeah it is what it is he's now the mm. fastest ever up there well that's the thing like there is a bit of a you know what do they mean in the world you know that they, they they mean something like you said that it's it's like you said it's a database where people can see you know one have fun with it but two on the very pointy end test yourself against the pros and like this is something i continually debate about you know what's happening in the world tour at the moment is these strong guys are getting a chance to come straight into the world tour through systems like strava through systems like swift because their power is available we can see these engines and they go teams go well let's just give them a chance i don't care if he can race or not i can see his engine as strong as chris Froome or as strong as today pochicar or you know whoever it is Jonas Vingegaard, but let's get them in and let's, you know, let's just see if they can race in the world to it. Well, that doesn't work. You need to learn how to race first, but they mean something on the world stage, don't they? It's, it's starting to happen. Probably while there's more crashes now in the mm. world tour as well. But um, yeah, people, instead of coming through the normal path of track or, or obviously CX overseas, uh, it's more now down to the uh, numbers and people go, oh, you can do this. I'm like, but the bloke's never finished a race. Mm. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, but he's done this time. And I think for just guys like myself even, I think it's still fun to go up a climb and go, wow, I've like, within X amount of, you know, a George Benner or a Jay Vine who's ripped up a climb before and you've gone, wow, I'm actually not too far off them or they mm. did this watts per kilo and um, 
I think that's an exciting thing. It's almost um, making it so you can compare yourself to the best in the world. Um, if they've gone and done a, a test up a climb and you do it, now everyone knows what numbers they're doing. They can estimate the watts per kilo. It's really cool. I think when the pro guys leave their numbers um, public as well, um, because that sort of gives you something more to work towards. And you're like, wow, it's actually, for a young guy particularly, if you look at it and go, oh, Podjikar did this up this climb and I've, I was only two minutes slower and then you want to get better and better, it kind of gives you a bit of, um, I don't know, like a, a feeling that you could possibly get there or on the other hand, just go, wow, those guys are phenomenal, mm. like how, how good they actually are. Like when you see them doing, you know, 6.3, 6.4 watts per kilo up the final climb, after four uh, alpine climbs beforehand. And whatever stages beforehand. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like there's uh, all this side of things. And you go, oh, I can do uh, 6.3 for 20 minutes. But uh, as I know from the reality of being over there, you've sprinted out of 100 corners all day, you're fourth position, you've gone up other climbs at threshold or above, and then the best guys can come out and mm. still do numbers better than uh, your standard rider at the end of the day. And that's what is pretty phenomenal. But also I think Strava's great at sort of letting you know the level between where you are now and then how damn good the pros are. What do you hate about Strava then? Bit of a tough one, actually. Mm. I think uh, originally I didn't like the uh, competitive side or that it was taken away from training sessions and everything mm. like that. Um, <laughs> now it's probably just uh, someone stealing my comp, to be honest, Docs. Like I think, mm. uh, yeah, there's not, not so much a dislike about it. I don't think there's too many negatives on it now, at least from where I stand as a coach and also as a, a avid cyclist. Mm. I think it's more positive now. So there's a whole bunch of community testing yourself, pushing yourself harder, maybe exposure for young guys. There's a lot of things or even just uh, to get you up to go and try to beat your own PB. There's mainly positives, whereas the, the negatives, it probably is just pushing too hard, maybe people racing down descents and doing silly things. I think that can be where you can run into issues. And I know there's been some pretty nasty crashes over the years of people just trying to beat their time on a descent. That side's probably not amazing, but I think overall it outweighs and it's more positive than negative. Mm, that was my next question. What do you love about Strava? But you more or less wrapped it up there. Is there anything else you want to sort of add in there on your loves for it? Uh, I'd love to get more comps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go go chase. I think, uh, yeah, there's still a few more around. Amount. I think we've ch- chatted before about uh, you riding around Lancefield mm. and almost having like a pride around trying to take the local comps and uh, – Whenever anyone enters your avenue, they're just like, "Oh yeah, this is Mitch's." Uh, well, every well, that idea is drifted missed, very you quickly. Years, mate. You yeah. missed too many of your best years going and hunting and making it your little uh, hood, where anyone comes in there knows that it's your territory and to stay out. I realise that that idea is much too hard. I'm never going to be able to achieve that goal. But, mate, well, thanks for giving us a little insight to, you know, the reality of Strava. You know, everyone on the ground, you know, from a, an amateur to a professional to a coach to a, just an everyday Joe Blow riding to work. I think you sort of cover all those realms. Now, let's hear from two pros about Strava as well. Here we are, Jay Vine. Now, I've spoken to the Gomads of the world, Mark O'Brien. Now I'm speaking to a new pro, Jay Vine, who is ripping it up in the Peloton, but a guy, in my opinion, who has actually used Strava in a way to become pro. I'm not going to say entirely, but has actually used it as a tool, you know, in his way to become professional. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Mate, Let's talk about Strava and let's talk about the way that you actually have used it in a way um, through your progression to become professional as a bit of a tool 
um, to become professional? Yeah, I mean, like I've I've never known a world in cycling without Strava, really. Mm. So I've I've always used Strava from from day dot, pretty much. the The fun funny thing is, it's as in the last two years since turning pro, the whole KOM hunting sort of aspect has disappeared because I mm. used to do that in Australia a lot. You know, waiting for the good days with the good tailwinds mm. and stuff like that, but after turning pro, you are a lot more structured in your workouts. Um, I don't know about for you, Mitch, when you first started, but if training was like super duper structured or if you had a bit more leeway, but I might not get a free ride where it's go all out for 20 minutes or go all out for five minutes. It's, you know, there's there's blocks and you might be having to hold back for mm. for a five minute effort because you've got to do five of them, for example. I'm not sure where your experience is with that is, but the way I use Strava now has changed a lot. Mm. And it's now more just a this is how many kilometers I'm doing, this is the route that I did, and here's a here's a cool view from that from that ride. It's it's very very Facebooky, Instagrammy, crossovery type ah, thing. I guess the question for me is to you. Were you able to use Strava in a way to become professional? You know, were you able to use it to analyze what the pros were doing or what you were doing and sort of look at the data and go, you know what, I'm going up, you know, Wollonga Hill or whatever hill it might be in Australia and go, I'm pushing six point whatever watts per kilo up this climb. Hang on, this is pretty good. I might be able to match the pros here. Were you able to use that in a way as a tool to understand your level? I think yes, in the sense that you also it was also interesting because you you could choose your best possible scenario for you know no bottles mm. early early on in the ride um, and you know good conditions, but a lot of the KOMs where I was aiming for they were done in groups you know mm. like they were they were in race conditions so you know whole width of the road peloton drafting that sort of thing so it was it was interesting to sort of compare yourself against a group of cyclists in in race conditions but also as you're as you're starting off as i guess i wasn't a junior i was an old junior as you're starting off in cycling understanding okay if i increase power this is this is how much faster i can go and where you can get the like how you can tune your body for your type of riding to get better on climbs on mm. f- flats on descents you know where you get the most bang for your buck out of you know weight loss power gain you know how to make a road straight you know make take the straightest line through corners stuff like that so yeah when you eventually went professional and you got to experience, you know, come over to, say, Girona, um, a hub of a lot of professionals and a lot of good quality climbs and a lot of guys where you think at the top level testing themselves on these climbs, whether they had Strava accounts or not. And one thing I noticed about you and a big reason why I've chose you for this podcast is you started ticking off these climbs. Rocket Corba, Amir. God, I've even Elza, forgotten the climb. Elza Angels. Angels. God, I've forgotten. <laughs> I'm, I've been out of there for six months, forgotten the climbs. You started yeah. ticking these climbs off. And even, even me without a Strava account, I started hearing about it. Who's this Jay Vine guy? He's taken all the Stravas from the good pros. So yeah. was that became a bit of a focus for you to sort of test yourself against 
the existing records to go, hey guys, just remember who I am or just just acknowledge who I am because I'm at actually the world level. What do they really mean in the world? What do they mean in the world of pro cycling? Was that something that you were out going out to show people? I mean, for the first two, Amir and Rocacorba, they were done in the first four, three or four weeks of me getting to us, getting to Girona. Um, and I was sort of coming through the academy the way I came through and being neo pro on the team it was sort of me just trying to wave my hand in the air to try and get a selection for a race um because i hadn't had a a calendar brought out yet Mm. so i sort of just i think i I literally uh brought up the strava heat map and went oh there's some dark blue lines on these (laughs) two climbs they're long they they're suit for where i'm i'm currently sitting in my sort of training plan at the moment and i and i went and did a mere um for the first for the first KOM and you know took the K, took the took the com and all of a sudden started getting messages on Instagram going what 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 yeah. what, what the hell was that like <laughs> where you where you come from yeah um and then I was like oh yeah I'm I'm feeling good I've got a bit of a free week you know <laughs> have you got any other suggestions <laughs> and then I just started getting these messages pouring like you should take Rocket Corbo and oh Els Angels it's been held by Levy Leipheimer for yeah. like. 15 years or something. So, yeah, then I just started ticking them off. And um, Do you have the yeah. backside of Rocker Cor- – do you have the backside of Els Angels? Yeah, the one from the Madrena side, yeah. You do. You beat Levi yeah. because that is yeah. a ridiculously fast time up there. Yeah, yeah. I took – I think I took 15 seconds off him or something. Wow. Um, I did – I did get a lead out from my wife for the base. So <laughs> she she did do the first 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's 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 the rest of it was me. <laughs> well, tell me about this. Let's talk about actually taking comms now. Um, you know, when you talk about comms, what do they, you know, what is the easiest way to do it? Is it, you know, for you, is it taking a long KOM? Is it taking a short KOM? How do you go about these? And when you see them, how do you go about them? What are the tricks to the trade? What works for you? I particularly like like sort of longer, medium sort of KOMs, especially between eight or seven minutes to mm. to just over 20 minutes is sort of the best option because once you get longer than that, um, wind is very, very fickle mm. um, in, in, in comm business. And if your climb is longer than 25 minutes, it's probably going to go through a few uh, layers of altitude and also wind conditions. But also, it's not useful for training um, mm. as such. Like, I've rarely done a race where I've been able to pace exactly the way I want to on a climb. You've always got attacks going on. Um, there are surges. There are times where you're not pedaling because you're trying to move out and around through a bunch, um, even going uphill. It's you might go faster in the race, but the power graph is is all these yeah. sort of things. So and up that's and down, where, what you're explaining, yeah, exactly, exactly, up and down. So that's where my my training doesn't usually provide me the fastest times up climbs compared to where how I used to. To used to use Strava back in Australia, where I'd go, I'm going to try and do seven and a half minutes full gas up this climb to take the KOM. Whereas now, you know, it might take me eight minutes, 
but the normalized power might be higher than mm. than previous. So, well, tell me about that. So, entering the world tour, you know, it's it's a pretty big step, and I'm not going to say that entirely Strava was the step for you, but it was it was an element of it. You know, you were about you were able to show who you were at the top mm. level against. You know, the top names, you're talking about Levi Leipheimer, a well-known name. That's just one once you became in Girona, but I'm sure there's many others that I don't know about. The difference between, like you've just explained now, taking comms on your own, KOMs, out when you want the conditions to be right, when you're controlling the power, and suddenly racing. Let's talk about those two different beasts. And actually, now you've been able to come in, because a lot of guys now, and this is something I talk about a lot, on the podcast or wherever I'm talking is that there's a lot of guys who come in with the engines like yourself, but now it's the race craft. How have you handled that race craft in terms of, hang on, I've actually got the power. I know I've got the power. I've seen the data. I've competed against guys like Levi Leipheimer or Ryder Hazardell or whoever it may be. Hang on, I'm in this race now. Technically, I should be doing exactly what they can do because I know I've got the legs. How have you caught up with the the race craft? Has that been something you've had to really go, oh, actually, this is a whole different ball game now? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a massive tactical side to the way, the way my dad likes to say it is he he likes to say it's basically the bicycle riding isn't actually part of your job anymore. Mm. It's you're playing you're playing chess. You know, mm. bicycling is not actually it should be second nature putting the power out should be second nature you're you're tactically trying to win the race because you know unless you're one of the the freaks in our sport who can uh, who can do everything everyone's on a very similar level so you've got to tactically try and try and beat them by saving energy throughout the race drafting at the right moment not attacking as you go into a 4% section of a climb um forcing your opponent to do a little bit more work by bluffing you know there's a bit of poker in there as well and i think similar to other sports where Mm. like in nrl i'm sure they watch (laughs) the game the the, their their opponents playing playing the game before they play on on friday night or whatever it is i do a lot of that myself i I've, i've watched basically every every minute of the tour de france when I haven't been riding, especially in breakaway situations to try and learn, all right, this is what tactics he employs. Mm. Um, this is this is how I can use that tactic. And, you know, oh, look at that. That's that's how he looks when he's on his limit, you know, stuff like that. It's and then also learning tricks from the from the riders that do well and how group dynamics work in, in when they're chasing solo riders, stuff like that. It's, yeah, that's watching the actual bicycle races has been a very big part of my learning curve. What are the KOMs or the comms, you know, Strava comms, what do they really mean in the world tour? You know, do pros actually give a shit about them? You know, like when, you know, I obviously do because I've contacted you, you know, and I knew that you took these serious mountain koms in Girona because i i've tested myself up all these climbs i thought you know who is this guy jay vine you know he must be a freak because you know i'm going up these climbs and they're really tough in your opinion you think like yeah okay i'm doing something good here i'm actually taking off all the big guys from these climbs but from your understanding do they actually mean anything once you get into the world tour do guys care about that do they give you the respect 
it's funny. The results on the fame, like the super famous climbs, like Alpe d'Huez, Von Two, Stelvio Pass, for example. I think getting a result, a race result on those mean like obviously far more than a Strava KOM ever does. Mm. But the Strava KOMs that mean the most, I believe, in the World Tour are the ones like Rockacorba, like mm. Amir, that don't have races go up them, that everyone trains on, like Cortals in in um, Andorra or Bexiols just down the road from me or Coldy or Dino. There's probably, I think, 100 cyclists in Andorra now and they're used basically every day by at least four of us. They mean much, much more. Do you um, have the comms on them? Uh, no, not yet. I once again haven't had, <laughs> haven't had the chance to put a 30-minute effort out yet. <laughs> I love it. Not um, yet. Yeah. Not yet, yes. I Fingers crossed. But um, I think those climbs are... You know, because they're you know they're, they're your local climbs. You know, even mm. though it's not your country of origin, they're they're your local training grounds. But that's that's what I think is is much more sought after by the pros. Yeah. Mm. What do you love about Strava in terms of the whole uh, the whole process, the whole technology of it? Whether it's the comms, whether it's you know showing where people where you ride. What do you love about the whole system of Strava? Since turning pro and especially moving around the world, like I've never been to Europe before turning pro, Mm. finding pro riders, having a look at their routes around where I'm going to be going or living and using the heat maps function, being able to see what they're doing in terms of duration water stops for example trying to find water mm. that you don't have to go to a service station every every uh, hour and a half like you do at the moment in 38 degrees like those functionalities are pretty pretty damn useful and i mm. find finding b roads as well not having to take the the main highway road all the time is also another another big positive like i guess before strava you'd have to get out a, a map you know mm. Um, to try and find these small roads. And the map might not show that, yeah, this road is practically ploughed. Whereas, you know, if you if you bring it up on Strava and you see that it's had a 1,000 cyclists go through it this year already, well, it's obviously pretty good. Hmm. So, What do you hate about Strava if there's anything that you don't like? You know, is there anything that you don't like about using Strava? You know, seeing your data up there, you know, critical comments, whatever. What is it? You know, do you feel this pressure sometimes because you're putting it up on Strava, you have to put out a good performance because suddenly like now the world's checking in on you. You know, this this sort of pressure that you have this level that you want to show the world so suddenly you can't put out a weak performance is that a negative for you or is there any other negative of using Strava in your opinion I don't really see it that way I think the biggest negative and it's not really a negative for me it's it's more a negative for for other people looking in at pros data is trying to to copy for example like trying to but like not not necessarily copy the the route or the the training session that you're doing but over time if an amateur tries to do what a professional does mm. they're going to cook themselves you know and it's and it's, you see the same with you know p- people trying to do weird diets you know to try and get that 6 
six watts per kilo for five minutes or whatever they're trying to aim for, that's where having a coach mm. is much more valuable than trying to copy a, a Strava professional because you're going to get much more enjoyment out of your riding by by doing it that way what about the coaching side like what does your coach think you know in in let's think of it in two different parts before you're professional when you're back in australia and now you're professional maybe like you already alluded to it that you're not chasing the, the comms as much these days but beforehand you were was your coach like this is beneficial go out and chase comms or like jay you've got to stop chasing those comps. It's not fitting the, you know, the program. You know, I want you to do a threshold effort and suddenly you're just going, actually, I'm about, you know, 30 seconds off this comp. I'm just going to go for it. Where does it fit in a training level, you know, in a coaching perspective? Is it a good thing? You know, have you been pulled up by your coach going, Jay, stop, get off Strava because you're chasing comps all the time. I need you to stick to a training program. My my coach likes to to just let me off the chain, um, you know, as, <laughs> as, as, as 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 you probably did in the lead up to races. You finally get a chance to, you know, have a bit of a taper. Um, but me personally, I don't like going into a race super fresh. So I will get a couple of days before the race. Get told, okay, you've got two and a half hours. Just go nuts. Don't don't go crazy but you know go go nuts on a couple take the, of, take the comms but don't take them by too much yeah oh it's it's don't 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 be doing a an hour threshold effort and stuff like that but um you know just go do a couple of squeezes you know stuff like that but it's like unstructured type stuff he likes using it for that for that aspect um back in australia before i turned pro he was all for it he would tr- my coach back in australia would try and incorporate as much KOMing as possible because mm. you're not you're not getting paid back in Australia. The enjoyment factor, like it was my, I'm paying my coach and he wants to try and keep me happy as much as he wants me to see me improve. So, you know, I, I'd often get the response back of if I asked, okay, can I, mm. can I tailor my effort to, can I do eight minutes, then four and four and four, you know, instead of doing the, <laughs> instead of doing the, the five fours, I'd just add two fours together. And he'd be like, yeah, if you, if you want, the, the, the rest of the session's going to hurt more, but okay, fine. Um, so yeah, that's how, that's how that would go sort of thing. Yeah. Well, tell me about lastly, if you have a, a KOM, you know, a Strava, you've got a, a mountain preem or whatever you want to call it, a KOM, and someone takes it, you know, does that sort of, you know, churn with you? You get that email on your account, your com has been taken, your KOM has been taken by Mitch Docker, and you're thinking, what the hell? What's going on here? Does that piss you off? Does that change what your next day is going to be? Do you want to go out there and get it again? What's your feeling when you ca- your com gets taken? There's, I could probably count on one hand the ones that I genuinely really care about. Um, what are they? Give me, give me them. Okay. So they'd be Black Mountain in Canberra. Yep. Mount Ainsley in Canberra. Rockacorba in Girona. Amir in Girona. And backside, backside Els Angels. That's pretty nostalgic. I tell you that, that one, I can't believe you've got that from Levi Lifeheim because that was done in Vuelta Catalunya. And I never thought that was going to be broken. Honestly, I didn't even know you had it. I didn't think that could be broken. Yeah. And that, that's probably the, the final one, but 
you know, th- those, and I think what comes down to it is those were, those were planned. Those were, you know, I, I was feeling that they're some of my best performances, like for, for the time durations that I've done. And like, I've probably ridden those climbs, you know, hundreds of times now across across my cycling lifespan so far so they do hold a special place in my heart yeah if if someone was to take them back in australia or if someone was to take them just down the road in spain i think there'd be a trip very quickly planned to go to go get them back (laughs) oh brilliant all right jay well great to chat to you mate i'm happy we've tapped into a little bit of um strava with you but um great to chat to you about your opinion on strava cheers Now it's time to talk to a pro and understand, do pros actually use Strava? Because it's this thing that was created, I guess, for, as we've heard, for the every Joe blow. But, you know, it's integrating or it's sort of, you know, getting into it with the pro peloton. I'm talking with George Bennett. He's an old pro, but he's actually, from what I understand, a bit of a Strava man. George, mate, welcome to the pod. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I guess the question is, do you use Strava? I do. I do use Strava, but with many caveats, many apostrophes beside I do use Strava. And I like Strava. It's actually been a great tool, um, especially for me, because I'm I'm a bit of a gypsy. I'm, I live in Andorra. I'm sometimes in Girona. I'm in New Zealand. I go to Australia. I go to training camps. I go everywhere around the world. And now I can get somewhere and go, where am I riding? And this mm. is what I love Strava for. I go, right, I got three by 10 minute efforts. I need to find a 10 minute hill. Well, that hill, is it 10 minutes? Let's find out. Some guys got it. You know, you can look on the comms. You can look at the percentage. You can, you can unlock a lot of doors through Strava. So in that sense, yes, oh. I do use Strava. For me, it's this amazing exploratory tool. On the other hand, I don't necessarily know if I love a lot of the other things that come with Strava, you know. Right. Yeah. Like what? I guess Strava gets under my skin a little bit. As yeah, an old right. Pro, like you say. Like you say, mm. as an old pro. And I definitely got a bit of a chip on my shoulder about how I turned pro, you know? Like, I had this crazy long story. That's for another pod, mm. you know? Battling through French amateurs, battling through crazy situations, living abroad, crying myself to sleep, just suffering. Doing the old school there, way. Yeah. It's the, old it's, it's way. the path, like, yeah, the path not really traveled anymore. No. You know, I suffered it out for years as an amateur, got my break, you know, won races in France, got signed up, lived strong, straight away pro. So... You know, and that whole time I was thinking, man, that was a horrific, traumatic few years, but it was the best few years of my life. You know what I mean? In mm. terms of growing as a person, learning to race a bike. And for that reason, I can be at the front of a bike race, like the cobble stage on the tour. You know, I was right in the front mm. group as a climber before I crashed out, you know, because you'd learn to race. You know, you can be at yeah, the Because you're hardened. You're, you're ready. Exactly. Yeah. You're ready to take on whatever comes at you. You're not softened at the first blow. You just go, oh, it's all too hard. You've made yeah. it through the hard spot. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And you can fight, you know, like, mm. like you know, me and you, we've had plenty of coming together in a bike race, you know, and both <laughs> yeah. of us know how to put, both of us know how to push each other around. And that's because I, I made it pro in a certain way. And I've got a lot of respect for guys coming up through that way. And, and also it's taught me to live away from home and you know, all the other things come with it. So a little bit of me gets quite pissed off when I see a bloke getting a Strava record and people going, man, 
this guy must be a good cyclist and people confusing mm. the fact that I really hate the confusion between this guy's a good cyclist or this guy can go fast up a hill. And I think they're distinctly different things. I remember a few years ago in Girona, there was this, you know, people getting Stravas and tweeting at team managers going, you know, I've, I've got this Strava, you should sign me. How can you not sign me? I've got the Strava. Yeah. And me, they're just blowing my mind going, getting a Strava is, is miles apart yeah. from being a, a pro cyclist. I think it's an awesome tool for amateurs to go, right, bit of comparison, you know, get them out the door, give them a goal to work to, give them an idea of, okay, this guy can climb it. But I mean, you know, the, it spiraled into this ridiculous thing where people thought this is the route to pro and they would go out to a hill with race wheels on, take their bottles off, take the saddlebag off, get a lead out and just, you know, take a Strava and, and then think that that transforms into being a good cyclist. Well, explain to everyone out there who doesn't understand you and I, who hasn't been in the peloton and can't distinguish the difference between taking a comm up a, a famous climb in Girona called Emir and then suddenly racing Vuelta Catalunya and just say there was a hilltop finish up Emir and then suddenly not being in the front. They're like, well, hang on a second. I've got mm. the fastest time up this climb. How come I'm not winning the stage up Emir in Vuelta Catalunya? What's the key difference there for everyone listening, for someone who's been in the peloton and knows the difference that, yes, of course, you need to have the ability to take a Strava, but you need to combine that with the race craft as well and the hardness mentally like you spoke about earlier. All Is that all it is? What is it? No, I mean, okay, all those things, of course. But there's also like go do a Strava or go do three and a half hours full gas and then see what you've got left. You know, there's a physical side of it. I mean, that's huge, you know. So they talk about in training your your decay or your repeatability or your, you know, like even my, my coach, John Wakefield, he uses a great metric where he talks about, you know, performance after a certain amount of KJs, you know. And mm. so a lot of my training is based on that, you know. And, you know, and, and even my training's changed in the last few years or in the last year, this year particularly, you know, whereas before I was doing 20 minutes, we can do a 20-minute test fresh at 6.8, 6.9. You know, you might even get 6.9 on a good day. I'm crazy. I'm crazy fast. But you don't get ever, ever, ever get even close to that in a race. I think a 20-minute power, you might do 6.4, 6. You know, maybe. You're, you're losing 20, 30 watts in a race. But most people are losing 60 yeah. to 100 yeah. watts. You know what I mean? So there's this massive decay that goes on physically. The other thing is, yeah, sure, you can be the fastest up the hill in a race. Good on you. doesn't help if you start two minutes behind everybody else because you couldn't get to the front. And the front group, you know, you start at the back, the front group's already gone. I mean, look at Flanders, great example, you know. You imagine coming into the Mur in 120th wheel and think you're going to make front group. You can go as fast as you like up the Mur. You won't make a front group. In saying all that, and, as, and, and going off what you said at the start, you are a fan of Strava. So yep. why have you then now converted and decided to use Strava after saying all that? There's many reasons, but ultimately, what are we? Why are we pro cyclists, right? Like, what's our actual job? You know, and essentially, we're entertainment. You know, we're entertainment for the for the masses. I often look at our job and go, "Man, do we actually do anything good?" And you go, "Well, if we okay, you want to make yourself feel better, maybe you inspire people to ride a bike." Okay, well. Great. I love looking at where people ride. And, I, and I'm and i lucky because I love riding my bike. Like if, if my dream training week would be a 30-hour a week with six-hour rides, you know, just go explore. Just don't do it if it's just go ride around. Yeah, It's never like that. That's not that's not how I work. But I wish it was like that sometimes. You know, I love being out and I love finding new roads and small roads and stuff. 
So if you can put a Strava ride up and someone goes, man, that's a cool lap, you know, through Andorra, through the mountains on this, you know, small roads down in extra terms and, and people that inspires someone to ride a bike. Sure. It's great. It's, I think that that's a one valid reason to put it up. I also think for me, look, finding new roads like we talked about, but also I, I don't think I would put many Stravas up, like let's say of, of high performance stuff. I know like a guy like Seth mm. Cross, he just puts everything up. So you're scared to show your data? I'm not scared to. I like the idea sometimes of just disappearing, going off the grid. And I Mm. like it that no one, sometimes depends what mood I'm in. So I'm just chill, here's my rides, data on, don't care, you know. But sometimes I like to just disappear. Sometimes Mm. things aren't going well. Currently, things aren't going well, you know. I've just left the tour with COVID. Nobody knows if I'm riding my bike or not. I don't know if I'm going to get back to form or I've had a lot of time off. I don't know what the rest of the year has in store for me. The rest of this year could go one or two ways. I could either make some storm and come back and have a crack at the Vuelta, or I might do two more race days and that's it. And currently mm. nobody knows because do I haven't th- put my Strava online. Do you think that's sometimes the best and worst thing with Strava? Because I've fallen then into, tra- into a bit of a trap now as an amateur or as a as a non-professional, um, well, I guess it's an amateur, isn't it? As a, just an every Joe blow <laughs> because... You know, suddenly now I'm feeling the the pressure of my Strava results when I go out running. That, oh, the the world's watching. They they can't see me run under you know a, over a mm. five minute k because I've set this this unrealistic level of myself that I think everyone cares about. And like like what you just said, you think everyone's watching to see what you're doing. Mm. And like suddenly you feel this pressure that if it's not a good enough performance for the world to see, I'm not going to put it up. It's a bit of a weird conundrum, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I look at how slow I'm riding right now. I am yeah. shit ass, you know. I've done ten days off the bike, or eight days off the bike, and I, and I'm jumping back on a bike, and and I'm going, you know, do I want the world to see this? You know, I'm up in Andorra because it's too hot in Girona and this and that, and I'm going, oh shit, I want the world to see this. But I mean, you know, I'm also not the kind of guy where, you know, you get those completely those guys that are just world to see, great. And they would actually find it motivational to have the world cheering them on. Because if, ultimately, you know, we're all paranoid and we think people care about how fast we're riding. Whereas they don't, you know. And, mm, that's and, right. And maybe people would use it as a motivational tool to be like, I could imagine you put your comeback, let's say the comeback from COVID, and, and, and putting it out to the world is a really motivational thing. And people are sending messages of support like, mate, great to see you back on the bike. You know, hopefully, you know, and people get a lot of energy mm. from that. I, I like a little bit sometimes to just disappear from the radar, pop up at a bike race, and then go shit. We didn't think about them. We thought he had COVID and thought he was, he was, you know, he was out of the picture. Well, what about the pros then? Like, what's the view in the peloton? Because, like, let's think back to Milan San Remo, two thousand sixteen. Anu Dumas, it actually came around and bit him in the ass because he held onto a car going up the Poggio and. His Strava account, he stupidly uploaded his file and they've seen, hang on a second, you've averaged up the climb 52k an hour up the Poggio. So clearly he cheated. That's fair income. So what's the view of the pros? Like, uh, like I, in my opinion, I never had a Strava account until I stopped being professional. You've clearly got one, you're pro. What do the other guys think? Um, mixed bag, you know, like a lot of guys just, you know, I mean, the races, they chuck them up whatever but it's normally like george bennett rode with this bloke and 104 others you know so everyone's <laughs> like oh yeah whatever 
And it's just a little bit of that, like, you know how, like, I'm, I'm, I'm quite cautious of not seeking, you don't want to seek comments. You don't want to intentionally seek um, kudos, you know what I mean? Yeah. And kudos, kudos is actually, like, Strava actually calls it kudos. Um, but you know what I mean? So you know how some people, like, something goes wrong and they might put, put it on Instagram and are looking for sympathy, you know, it's that feedback loop of, you know, if, if a race goes well, you know, or badly or whatever, guys put it up maybe to get a little bit of play on the ego. But if... Like you say, this this kicked the guy in the ass. Do you know what's also interesting with this is, you know how they do the calculations on Strava, uh, on mm. Twitter, you know, there's this Finnish guy, he's always doing calculations and he's like, oh my God, they climbed the, the you know, I saw this, I saw a great calculation the other day. They, they climbed 6.8 watts a kilo on the end of the Grand On. And I know all the data because I'm either in the race or my coach is there or, you know, whatever. And I'm knowing, nah, mate, they just had a tailwind. But you don't want to shatter yeah. the illusion that you were doing six and a half watts a kilo for this climb when you were doing six. And everyone's going, man, these pros are going so fast. And you're like, well, if I upload this with data, they're going to know that I just had yeah. a tailwind. Or, <laughs> you know, or what about motorbikes? This is the other thing that's crazy, right? Motorbikes have been getting more and more into races and they're getting out of control. I mean, Dauphiné this year, they were taking the piss. I remember the breakaway. We had Ghana averaging. 480 watts for 32 minutes normalized 482 watts we didn't catch the break we caught them like 50 meters to go in this crazy sprint they were still running top 10 to sprint the break and he was just like this is bullshit you know he put his file up and you know and then if someone from the breakaway puts their file up and they realize they were averaging 250 watts but they were sitting on a motorbike you know Mm. well finally then let's talk about outside of the race and comms Taking comms, going for the KOM, that is, something that um, I know you've gone for. What are the tricks of the trade? And, you know, tell me about anyone out there thinking about doing it. I want to know what an old school pro, what's his tricks of the trade about trying to take a comm? Is it just purely down to how good you are? Is there little, you know, secrets you can do? Like you said, taking the bit and the, um, not the yeah. cages off, but taking the saddle bag off, you know, hitting it with a tailwind. What are the tricks of the trade when you're going for those KOMs? I think you could do all that stuff. I mean, I'm not, I'm not actually, I've only ever gone for one in my life and that was with the help of some friends. <laughs> and that was that was actually to you know make a point about that you know if you own a com you shouldn't necessarily be pro so we had to take a com we had to just write some wrongs <laughs> let's say and uh so i've never really actively sought a com but what i would say is you need a good day weather wise and you need if, if i was going to say it's like pacing you know in terms of if i was going to pace a tt the steeper parts, you need to push harder. The flatter bits, you need to get mm. up to speed and then you need to recover. You know, but once you're up to speed, it's all about speed. At the end of the day... Forget about the watts. Far more important than... Yeah, it's not average power, it's mm. average speed. So you need to attack the steep parts harder. You need to get up to speed on the flatter bits, recover, because you can push 100 watts more on the... If you try and ride completely even the whole way, you might be pushing 100 watts extra on this flat bit and only get an extra couple of K an hour out of it. Whereas if you go 100 watts extra on a steep bit, you might get 5K an hour out of it. You know, you need to apply your power well. And if that fails, just get behind the motor. Perfect, mate. Well, thanks for that, George. We've got an insight to an old school pro and Strava.
now what did you think did you learn something what did you think what the pros thought and jay vine it was really really interesting to hear what he said about taking those comms over there in girona and what they actually the impact of that in terms of helping him turn pro i guess in a way i found it really interesting i especially love talking to marco He's just this wealth of knowledge back here in Australia. He's a great guy. And actually, Mark O'Brien is going to be joining us on Talking Wolf next week. We sat down at the infamous Iron Bar. If anyone in Melbourne would know that, that is a famous bar out where my old man lives. And we had a cold beer and we did some Talking Luft. That will be next week. Guys, I've got to say thanks to Lara behind the scenes who is helping me put this podcast together this year, doing all the nuts and bolts behind the scenes. Will Jones, who's piecing these episodes together. But of course, last but not least, Rafa, who, like I said, this episode is about community. It's about Strava, helping people to connect online. But that is what Rafa are doing. That's their ethos about trying to make people fall in love with cycling through the RCC, through the clips that they do, Rafagon Racing, you know that. And I'm loving working with them on Life in the Peloton. I guess another tool to make people fall in love with cycling. It makes sense, doesn't it? And guys, you guys for listening too. Send in your feedback. I always love hearing from you. And guys, until next week, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.